Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories. All before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of the Tomato Timer. And today we're joined by an amazing guest um, and a good friend of mine, Laura Hey, who's lived across Spain, the US and the UK, studied a Bachelor in Linguistics and International Studies at Duke, and then went on to do a Master's in Social Innovation at Cambridge. And it's so good to have you. Thank you so much for joining us, Laura. Yeah, thanks, Uber. It's so nice to chat with you today. So I really want to get started with the with the big thing, you know, living across three very different cultures and nations. Um, I know they all have their own like quirks and traditions. Um, how did it feel? Mm-hmm. How did that shape you as a person? Yeah, it's an interesting question and one that I have reflected on more and more sort of as I've, I've grown. Um, but, you know, what I realized was, you know, my mom was American, my dad was from Spain. So I grew up in a multicultural context mm-hmm. and at home. So I was raised speaking English and Spanish at the same time. And then I went to an international school. So it was a place where diversity wasn't just you know, tolerated, it was actively celebrated. Yeah. Um, you know, the young people at my school represented over 50 different nationalities. So I think diversity of thought, tradition and language is very much the norm. And how did that, how does that shape you uh, or your perspective when, you, when you've gone from school to university to your like, career now? Uh, what is the like because i also came from a similar kind of international school environment and i like aside like i don't want to get into my own story because it's your episode but like i've also had this amazing experience of being able to be exposed to so many different cultures and and i think it links to what you've been working on which is empathy education how does that relate to that yeah i think you know the more i discovered about other people the more i discovered about myself and I realized just how many different ways humans make meaning. You know, all of the ways that were different, but then all of the ways that were fundamentally the same at the core. Mm. And for me, languages was one of that big pieces of this. You know, it, it represented just cultural diversity of the world. And it's a huge tool that I used to be able to step into a different world than my own, make meaning and build bridges between people. So, you know, from very young, I studied loads of different languages. Um, I'm somewhat of a nerd, <laughs> but, you know, as I said, what were those spoke languages? English and Span- Sorry. Yeah. yeah, so I spoke English and Spanish at home. Um, I learned French because we used to drive up to the border and spend some time there in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then at school, I learned Sanskrit, ancient Greek, uh, Latin. Oh and then at gosh. Duke, I went on to do Hindi and Portuguese. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm I'm blown away. I, <laughs> that's crazy. And not just very, these are like, not. I don't think dead, but ancient languages as well. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. And wow. Uh, and then so th- I, I guess that's what you, that's was like, kind of like your passion, these languages. And that's what you went on to study at uni. I did. Yes. Um, um, and then so what was, so you obviously realized this connection with humans and languages. Um, where did that like after your when did you start to see that your kind of career would or or what you were most interested in would be something like education um, and mm. like what did you start doing were you doing any internships at the time 
Yes, I was. So for me, education was something that could be either an excellent and enhancing experience, mm -hmm. but equally I saw a lot of my friends and family be really downtrodden by the system. And, you know, if you think about it, this is the very system tasked with preparing us and young people for life. So why is it that only some succeed, but most really the system kind of fails them, even though the language is around students failing rather than the other way around. Mm. Um, so I really wanted to understand what are the different ways that people are thinking about education much more creatively and not just sort of the standard industrial approach. So I took an internship in L.A. So I was working in a public school in L.A. as an environmental educator. And it was through a program that had essentially taken, brought in the community in order to transform uh, asphalt parking lot into a community garden and outdoor classroom. Wow. So, yeah. So how, how, how did that happen? Were you ever involved in that project itself? So I was involved in the later stages where the garden was being used as an outdoor living classroom. So the process was taking everything that young people would learn from kindergarten until fifth grade mm -hmm. in the science curriculum in a textbook and translating it into this outdoor experiential learning sort of experience. So instead of learning about pollination or climate change or the stages of the life cycle from a textbook in a classroom, these kids were running around the garden and seeing this happen firsthand. Wow. Um, and so what was what was the what led you to what led you to the next thing? Because um, um, you then went on to be get involved and work for one of the largest social entrepreneurship fellowship system, Ashoka. Yes. So I think I saw the impact that this kind of innovative learning had on these group of students, but also their families. Mm. And I thought, how can we do this on a much bigger scale? Yeah. So what drew me to Ashoka was sort of, how do I increase my impact? You know, how do we do this systemically? Yeah. And Ashoka, as you mentioned, is the world's oldest and largest network of social entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So everyone from Jimmy Wales, who founded Wikipedia, um, to, you know, fellows working in communities who use rats to sniff out landmines mm. um, and clear countries of them. So all kinds of solutions at every scale that you can imagine. And the funny way that I encountered Ashoka was I typed into Google empathy education. And so this program appeared. It was called the Start Empathy Initiative. And essentially, the idea was to research, find, select, and connect schools who were already thinking really creatively about how to explicitly teach empathy mm -hmm. as a skill to young people starting super early on, um, which is quite rare. Because yeah. usually you expect that's sort of the domain of the parents at home. You know, we don't have time to go into empathy at school. But it's such a critical context for young people to learn how to engage with other people and learn about themselves and collaborate and lead initiatives. What does empathy education look like um, in these schools that you've you started? Because these schools were special, right? They were already thinking out of the box, thinking creatively to, to implement something that would be powerful and useful um, to the students around them. Um, 
how was that being implemented and how did you guys come about and, and make those changes? Yeah, so it was being implemented, I would say, on two levels. The first was explicitly teaching it as part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And the second was using empathy as a design principle in order to create a school that was safe, had open spaces for dialogue, intentionally worked on building mutual trust between students, but then also the students and the adults, you know, respecting and elevating student voice because they're, they're really key participants in learning and not just sort of passive um, receivers, mm -hmm. you know, teaching relevant content, looking at your students and deciding how can I craft a learning experience around you rather than the other way around, you know, placing value on, on traditional academic achievement, but also other more important measures like leadership, collaboration, um, change making. Mm. And that's, that's super, super interesting. Um, the one thing that jumps out at me is, is, is something you said earlier, which was, you know, you, you and you saw around your family that the education system that we were, we are, we are still going through tends to put the failure on the students. It's, but we never talk about the system failing us. Um, and it seems like this, this, this kind of approach that you're taking, especially with uh, empathy education was trying to flip that script, right? It was about taking it um, and saying, I am a human being. I have emotions. I have, I have. I want to. I want to feel the emotions around me. I want to have this, the skill of empathy. Um, and I, the system should be, understanding and hearing this as well. And unfortunately, the way it is designed right now, we don't have anything that measures what we can't go into a two-hour exam and, and do an exam on empathy or, or how we're feeling or how were we? How, were you nice to your friend who was sitting next to you on your desk? <laughs> you, you don't get that. Uh, and it's amazing to hear. So tell me a little bit more about some projects that you got involved with at the time, um, because there's there's a keyword that you also use with change makers. What does that mean? Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, when we talk about being a change maker, no matter what career path you end up choosing, what does that mean? Um, so to us, a change maker is someone, anybody mm -hmm. who sees a problem, steps up, and takes creative action in order to address it or solve it. And one young change maker we work with in Zimbabwe put it really beautifully, which was a change maker is someone who makes the personal decision for their lives to be part of the solution, part of a fight for a better world. And there are so many ways that you can do this, mm -hmm. depending on what your interests are, depending on what your skills are. Um, but fundamentally, it's about creating pathways for each and every person to be able to contribute their passion, their knowledge, and their skills in order to meet some kind of community need that they've identified. That's a beautiful um, quote. Uh, such a to be part of the solution, um, and I think uh, an important part of it is is not just a solution, but the fact that the solution is for the community. Um, is is that something that's always kind of like a an intrinsic need to be a change maker. You need to have a community that you're serving. I, yeah, I think you have to have someone beyond yourself that you're serving. You know, I think it, it means ultimately taking responsibility, mm -hmm. taking the lead, collaborating with others in order to make life better, not just for yourself and your family and your friends, but for your community and for our species and for the planet. Yeah. So I think 
you know, we talk a lot about things like grit and determination, which are key skills to being a change maker, but oftentimes those are all inward looking. You know, this is about looking up, looking beyond your desk, looking beyond your classroom and looking out and, and noticing, you know, maybe you realize, oh, that's not really fair. I wonder why that is. Or it, it's this process of saying, why? Why are things are the way they are? And what if? What if they could be this other way? Would you say that there's an... I don't want to say analogy, but is there some similarities between a change maker and an entrepreneur? Because some of the terms you use, like grit, uh, a drive, uh, almost like a, a hunger for a solution, and the, the, just the, the, the term solution is also a very entrepreneurial thing. You know, you, you always look for a product solution fit and find the market and identify and think about your growth and traction, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it sounds, in some ways, I can see like, the diff some components which fit together but in some ways it feels like completely incorrect as well because um what you're looking at as a change maker you're not recognizing well you are recognizing that there could be that kind of um, economic growth and stuff like that but your targets um, are more around the impact that can be reached for the community that you serve so tell me a little bit more about that kind of like the similarities and maybe even the differences between an entrepreneur and a change maker Right. Um, I think you're correct in the sense that many of the dispositions and the attitudes and skills the entrepreneurs have, mm -hmm. like, you know, entrepreneurial drive, you know, determination, commitment to some kind of cause, um, that process of iteration, all of those qualities are super necessary in, in bringing about change mm -hmm. because oftentimes it doesn't have happen overnight. Yeah. Um, but I think some of the ways that it differs is that it's the difference between being sort of a boss and being a leader. You know, one, one inspires others and you bring others along in that journey. It's not about you. It's about how you can create a solution that is absolutely based in the needs and experiences of the people who you are trying to serve. So it's not like I'm stuck away in this room and I've come up with a solution. How can I slap it onto a problem? Mm -hmm. It's first understanding you know, the root causes of that problem from a place of respect for the people who are experiencing it, bringing them in as active participants in designing a solution, and then creating roles for others to contribute in solving the problem. That's beautiful. And it, it makes um, a lot of sense. Um, unfortunately, the current landscape of entrepreneurship is is lacking in that we it's changing i think um there's definitely these things to call like impact investment and people who are more than ever thinking about the social impact more than the business growth as such but there's a kind of a, a key aspect which I, I'm, I'm reiterating for myself as well because um i i find myself in a similar situation it's it's about solving and pre producing a solution for the community and looking outward as you said rather than um inwards into like things like grit and determination which is of course necessary but not the only thing that that makes you a chain maker tell me a little bit about um through these kind of past few years at ashoka um what were the most kind of like impactful or most memorable projects that you you were involved with or were part of of course um i, I would say there's two strands to this mm -hmm. one is how have schools 
as institutions yep. created the time and space for young people to step up and solve problems. And the other piece is these young change makers themselves that we support. Yep. So in the first case, we have schools, for example, that have a they think about how can we integrate these kinds of mindsets and skills into existing curricular subjects as the first start. So for example, you know, STEM, it's a chance to really design and tinker and create a solution. And one example that I can think of, or two that really blew me away, were at one school, they have a class called Inventioneering. So the idea is Ooh. applying engineering, science, technology, and maths mm -hmm. to solving real world problems. So one group of students created, they realized that they created a rowboat that picked out trash out of their local bay. And you know, at first the net was sinking, the arms sort of broke mm. off, and so they had to iterate. They had to work as a team and figure out how can we make the net float but also open? How can we create the arms so that it sort of doesn't break off as it's scooping trash? And together they went through several iterations in order to arrive at the solution and they were able to clear trash from their local bay, just this group of five students. Wow. Um, and the other example that I love is a group of students in a school in Washington who had um, someone in their community who had cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. And so they embarked on sort of interviewing folks who suffered from this and they came together to create a pen that, you know, a stylus that people, young people and adults with cerebral palsy can actually use. Um, and, and what I think what both of these examples show is really putting empathy at the center of, of designing solutions. Once you understand the people and their experiences, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot easier to design a meaningful solution. Can I just um, highlight that we're talking about high school students. So 14, Absolutely. Middle, middle school students wow. and high school students. That's just blowing me away because I can't imagine like these things like sound like, oh, third year of uni, uh, my, you know, electrical engineer friend is making this up or something. This, this is amazing to see that you can take this and they're like, they're, we're still learning the same things, right? You know, we, we go to any chemistry class or physics class, we're still going to learn about, you know, Newton's laws of motion. And, and they're taking all this knowledge and experiences that they're getting from school taking looking out outwards i i really love this looking outwards um looking at people around them and seeing the community and the problems that they're facing and developing a solution um yeah I, I, absolutely I'm quite and you astonished. and you learn so much more by doing yeah. right you, you take knowledge in the abstract mm -hmm. and once you apply it that becomes so much sort of a such a deeper learning experience for you yeah wow i have to say blown away um and so I kind of want to link this up to kind of the next, I guess, bit in the hierarchy, which is like after we're going through our school system, we tend to go to university, get a degree. Mm -hmm. And of course, you went on and, and got yourself a degree and you could have done whatever you wanted to. But you then chose to almost dedicate your the past I don't know five or six years of your life in this space and, and just kind of empowering change makers. Um, we sometimes are because maybe it's it's our script maybe it's um it's because of the status quo we think that you know if you become an engineer you need to get to a huge engineering firm and mm. uh, become part of this the these mammoth organizations which are building skyscrapers and if you become a i don't know a mathematician you need to become an investment banker if you become a you know all these like you know 
there's this one path to go down and it seems like this is kind of within our own heads we're we're making our these assumptions and yes it's around us as well but there's different ways and different paths to choose and what would you say so for example if i just finished an engineering degree or a computer science degree does that really mean that i have to go down this uh corporate route i guess or you know what what, what do you think about all that yeah i mean i think at the end of the day you have to know yourself mm-hmm. you have to know what truly motivates you and what you want you know what you do matters so then it's up to you to decide what kind of difference do i want to make what kind of world do i want to help create mm-hmm. and for some people the corporate route is a really excellent way to make a contribution yeah. on the other hand there are so many social innovators who are taking these traditional sort of areas of like you mentioned engineers and computer scientists yeah there's an organization called engineers without borders that really applies engineering to some of the most complex problems around the world mm-hmm. you know computer scientists there's another organization in the US called code for america and the concept is oftentimes government is so behind in terms of digital service providing and yeah. so they're helping revamp the entire US government in order to pr- sort of create a better online experience for people seeking services. Mm-hmm. There are just so many ways that you can contribute your skills and apply them. You just have to figure out you know what matters to you. What what per- what where do you derive a sense of purpose from? And based on that, you can start to explore alternate avenues. They exist, but sometimes it's a bit harder because they're the path less trodden. So yeah. you have to it's not as clear cut. You have to actually think more critically about how to create a career mm-hmm. around them but it's certainly possible i would love to hear a little bit more about what you ended up doing in your at your kind of masters in social innovation uh, what was your what were you researching because you've taken this huge kind of like a multicultural life experience um, and then a super cool degree with lots of normal and ancient languages as well um and then you'd done work for shoka you'd done work for this as an environmental educator what did it culminate into yeah so i think the biggest thing i wanted to understand was how change happens mm-hmm. and that's what this degree this masters in social innovation taught me you know within a company outside of a company across sectors how does change happen what are the examples what are the methodologies what are the principles and for me specifically my work was focused on helping school systems both in the US and now sort of in the UK shift to a, to a paradigm for education where young people are supported with the knowledge and skills necessary to be good at school but also the mindsets behaviors and deeper sense of purpose well-being and agency that are really critical to be able to thrive you know in a world of change but then also actively contribute to it so it's not just about surviving and thriving in this complex interconnected world but how can you leave your mark on it as well and how can you contribute to creating a better future for everybody so for me my interest was sort of this intersection of social innovation mm-hmm. and education would could i i've heard this term a lot in podcasts i listen to and some of those kind of like books that i've been recently reading agency tell us a little bit like just give me a mm-hmm. quick definition um and why is it so relevant <laughs> it, it's it's a complex uh, concept i think um i've not got through, i've listened to so many different people explain it but it's such a 
um, it's so refreshing to hear it from someone else's perspective. Um, what and why is it so relevant to us as the the young people of this generation, or young people of this world? I guess the the next yeah. generation to lead. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, there are more young people alive today than ever before in human history. Mm. There's about one billion young people. Wow. And at the same time, young people are constantly underestimated, even though they consistently prove otherwise. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but I constantly heard this when I was growing up. Oh, just wait till you grow up and then you can make a difference. Mm. And then you can really contribute and decide how to take action even though we know that young people have been at the forefront of every social movement throughout history. And we see young people taking action today across all sort of issues in society. Um, so I think it's clear that young people don't have to wait till they grow up to make a difference. And I think it's up to parents, to teachers, to schools, to create time and space and opportunities for them to practice and develop that power of contributing really early on. So it's really, you know, again, it's about creating pathways for young people to contribute their passions, their knowledge and their skills to the communities that they're embedded in, whether that's at home, whether that's in the classroom, at school or sort of beyond. Um, so one key thing is helping young people discover what is, what is it that they're interested in? What do they care about the most? Um, and then putting that into action. So starting young instead of school sort of saying, you just wait, you'll, you know, there'll be a time where you can contribute, but now is not the time. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we ensure that young people understand the, the power that they have to take action as early on as possible and that their contributions are val valuable? Yeah. What would you, so we've like literally just hit the timer um and i wanted to get the last kind of almost like the last closing re remark from you what we would be the one piece of advice you would say to people listening to this episode today and thinking i want to become a change maker i want to make i want to have a society i serve and i want to make a positive change a positive impact around the people who surround me um what would be that one kind of like thing that would just like be the most powerful in your experience that you've you've been spending so much time with these change makers and being a change maker yourself what would that be yeah i think i think you start with reflection so you reflect on what you care about the most what what bothers you when you look at the world mm. um and then become a leader in the name of something that you truly care about because you know when you start to harness your passions and even emotions towards tackling a problem in your community that's when you begin to understand your true power to actively shape sort of the present and thus the future. So look around you, take notice, talk to people who are most affected by a problem, mm -hmm. build a team that can help you, and then start to think really creatively, but also compassionately about possible solutions and bring others along in that journey. I love that. Harness your passion, because um, mm -hmm. that's the key thing that's going to drive you when you're building becoming a change maker uh that's it for this week's episode it was so good to have you thank you so much for joining us laura thank you so much Zubair. Um, such a pleasure it was amazing to hear from you um and well we'll see everyone else next week with another amazing guest um but bye for now bye bye and that's another episode of the tomato timer 
If you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week, join the Xenos Discord server. The invite link is in the description. And to learn more about Xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all, go to xenos.org. Bye for now.